I'd ask if you can please stand with me out of reverence for the word of the Lord as we look at our passage for this morning. Acts chapter 1, 1 to 11. Acts chapter 1, 1 to 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And we had said these things as they were looking up. He, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus was taken up from you into heaven. will come again in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of our Lord. May he write its eternal truths upon our hearts for his glory and for the building of his church. Please be seated. And let's pray again together. Triune God, Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we praise you for this moment, for you have called us in this moment to hear from your word. This particular passage in this particular book at this particular moment in history, you have called us together to hear and to attend to your word and to respond to your word with faith and obedience. And Lord, as we begin to undertake a study of the book of Acts, I'm conscious yet again of my inability to be able to communicate these things in a way that, that would be comprehensible, let alone effective in the lives of your people. But Lord, I'm confident that the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit who and dwelt the apostles as the first witnesses of the resurrected Christ. That same Holy Spirit is at work in and through me and is at work in and through your people who are hearing this word. May our studies in the book of Acts, and particularly this study this morning, may all of it be used for your glory. May you help us all to respond in faith and obedience, to this word. Help us, I pray, Lord, to, to grow in a, in a sense of the fact that the mission continues. 
Lord Jesus, that you have promised, that you have decreed that you will, that you will build your church and that you are still building your church and that you are still building your church through us as we also are empowered by your Holy Spirit. Magnify your name in our midst. Cause your fame to abound through the ministry of this little local church. For we pray this in the name of Christ, the only Savior. Amen. Last summer, a plant sprung up in our front garden. It didn't look like any weed that, that I knew, so I, I started watering out of curiosity to see what kind of plant it was. And it grew taller and taller, and, and soon I could tell, it wasn't a beanstalk, I, I, I could tell that it was, it was a sunflower. You could tell by the shape of the leaves and the way it was growing that it was a sunflower. And that it, it had, we didn't plant it there, it just grew there, probably from a seed that was dropped by a bird or a squirrel. And it grew to, to several feet high, taller than me, and, and produced a, a beautiful big yellow flower that was, that was swarmed by bees. And then as the, the, the fruit on that flower matured, the, the squirrels and the birds came and ate the seeds. And then at the end of the summer, the plant wilted and died. But then this summer, more sunflowers grew up. In fact, another 12 sunflowers. Now 12 is a significant number. I think the Lord knew that I was going to be using the sunflowers as, a, as an illustration. So he caused 12 more sunflowers to be to, be, to grow up in its place. The seeds of that first sunflower produced seeds that produced more plants. Even though that sunflower died, it, it produced more seeds, which produced more plants. And then, and then this year, 12 more. Now, if we're going to follow the illustration, maybe next year there'll be 3,000 Sunflower plants on our front lawn. It would be a sight to behold. But the sunflowers remind me of what is taking place as we begin our study of the book of Acts. Because the book of Acts, as I explained to the kids, is both an end and a beginning. Acts is an end and a beginning. In Acts, we see the end of Jesus' earthly ministry and the beginning of the ministry of the church. After a brief, brief prologue, Acts begins with the final moments of Jesus' physical presence with his disciples before his departure, before his ascension to heaven. Now, of course, unlike the sunflower, Jesus is not about to die. He's, he's again, he's going to ascend bodily to heaven. His earthly ministry is about to end, but his Heavenly ministry is about to begin as he is about to send his Holy Spirit to continue the work and as he himself continues to intercede for his people. Jesus is leaving, but he will leave many seeds behind in the hearts of the apostles. Through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, those seeds will produce more seeds, which will in turn produce more seeds and so on. So the apostles in the power of the Holy Spirit so rather, through the apostles and the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ continues to build his church. And so Acts is really Luke part two. It's the, the second book in the series. 
The first book, obviously, is the, the gospel according to Luke. Now, I understand why the, the four gospel accounts are, are put together in our modern Bibles. But, but it's really too bad that when the, the books of the Bible were organized into their places, th- that they didn't put John's gospel account first, and then the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke together, so that Luke could be followed immediately by Acts. B- because they were really both part of, of one work, Two halves, really, and, and you can see there's a real symmetry to, to Luke and Acts, but they're, they're two halves, really, of one work. They're, it's Luke-Acts go together. Luke wrote Acts for the same purpose as, as why he, he wrote his gospel account. That Theophilus and, and that the church could be confident of of the teaching that they had heard, the the teaching specifically about the the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ, particularly the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the subject matter here in Acts goes goes beyond the account of the, the birth and the ministry of Christ, begins to discuss the birth and ministry of the church. After presenting his orderly account of the ministry of Jesus Christ in word and deed, in his gospel account, Luke proceeds to carefully detail the spread of Christianity from Jerusalem and throughout the Roman Empire, even against serious opposition. Opposition that that took the form of of the the rebellion in the the hearts of people. The the Jewish rulers, the, the Gentiles, even from within the church itself. Jesus is building his church in spite of and even through opposition. And we'll see this regularly throughout Luke's, or, or, see, I almost did it, throughout Luke, throughout Acts. Against all odds, over this relatively brief span that it is recorded in the book of Acts, the gospel has gone a long way in its spread to the ends of the earth. And much of the, the first half of, of Acts Luke details the ministry of the Apostle Peter. And then in the second half, the focus is on the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Now, as far as the the structure of of Acts, I I remember first listening to R.C. Sproul's sermon from the the 2013 Strange Fire Conference in which he explained that Acts 1.8, which is really Luke's repetition of the Great Commission, really provides a summary and a framework of the entire book. Acts 1.8, you're probably familiar with it. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So as you look at the structure of the book of Acts, you'll see that in chapters 1 to 7 really describe the apostles' witness in Jerusalem. And then in chapters 8 to 12, you see the ministry in Judea and Samaria. And then in chapter 13 to 28, the the focus shifts to the ministry of the Apostle Paul in the Roman Empire. So it is the beginning of the witness to the ends of the earth. So Jesus Christ gives his Holy Spirit to the church to empower her in order to bear witness of him. And you'll see in our studies of of Acts that that fully one-third of Acts is gospel preaching empowered through the Holy Spirit. 
So I think as, as, I'm, as I'm going on here, I, th- I think you can begin to see that the tra- traditional title of Acts, the Acts of, of the Apostles, is, is somewhat of a misnomer. Because Acts of the Apostles really focuses on, on really the, the human agents. So perhaps we could say that Acts of the Holy Spirit is a better title, and I think it is. But even that does not quite communicate the, the main message either. John Stott suggests that the subtitle of Acts should be the continuing words of deeds, words and deeds of Jesus by his spirit through his apostles. Now, I, I, I like that. I think that that really communicates it, but that's a bit unwieldy. So I'm going to stick with the simple title, Acts. Christ is building his church. Christ is building his church. So then in Acts, Luke is describing the birth of the church and its spirit-empowered obedience to the Great Commission to bear witness of Christ, the risen and ascended King. In Acts, Luke is reminding the church of its continuing mission that he has given us the Holy Spirit's power to fulfill the mission. Brothers and sisters, it is my prayer that through this sermon series, we will be reminded of our continuing mission. That we'll be emboldened and further empowered to do our part to fulfill the Great Commission. So why did Luke write Acts? Well, one proposed reason is that he wrote Acts as an apologetic for the Christian faith. Now, apologetic does not mean that he's he's saying sorry for the Christian faith, but rather that he is defending Christianity's truth claims. And I think that's true, but but it's more than that. Luke wrote Acts as, as more than an apologetic. As Craig Keener explains, like a novel, Acts is an entertaining work on a popular level. Like epic, it may function as a foundation document. And like a travel narrative, it contains narratives driven by the theme of travel. But far more important than that, says Keener, is that like biography, Acts focuses on particular characters. Yet he says all of these elements may be found in ancient historiography, the most commonly proposed genre for the book of Acts. So then in Acts, Luke is writing history. He's writing history. But Luke isn't just writing history for the sake of history. You know, when I was in school, I, I really, I wouldn't say, detest might have been a strong word, but I, I really didn't like studying history. I didn't see the point of studying history. Now that shows probably in, in, uh, my lack of maturity, but, but it wasn't until I came to faith in Christ that I began to see the importance of studying history especially church history. Because in studying church history, we really get a sense of, of what God is doing in his redemption plan. Acts is history. It's history. But again, it's not just history for the sake of history. Luke is writing historical theology. He doesn't just describe the events, but he explains their implications. Christianity is a historical religion. It's not founded on on ideas, but on events. 
You see, most of the religions of the, of the world, they're, they're, they're philosophical ideas. But Christianity is founded on events. Real events. Very well-attested events. In the life of Jesus Christ, but far before that. All, going all the way back to creation. And then the book of Acts and, and all the way to Revelation. Christianity is founded on events, historical events. And through the study of the Word of God and here in the study of Acts, we will see the, the importance and the implications of these historical events. Listen to James Boyce. Luke does not merely give us a history of the early church. He tells us that there is a plan to history. God is unfolding it. The meaning of history is in God's work. God is reaching down to the mass of fallen humanity and saving some hell-bent men and women, bringing them into a new relationship, new fellowship, the church, and beginning to work in them in such a way that glory is brought to Jesus Christ. This is the message of Acts. So then Luke was a skilled historian and a faithful theologian, carefully chronicling events and drawing out their meaning and their significance. And so as such, Acts really serves as, and provides a historical background really for much of the New Testament. Right? We find out about, about many of the, the churches in the epistles from Acts. Right? It's... It, it it's also serves as a as a bridge with between the between the gospels and the rest of the new testament especially the new testament epistles and in our case acts is going to provide a bridge to romans the next book that we're going to to study in about a year's time lord willing and as luke writes these events as luke records his events. He does this on the basis of, of eyewitnesses that he has interviewed. But Luke himself is also an eyewitness of many of the events in the book of Acts. And you'll see as we study Acts that, that, that regularly from chapter 16, we're going to see that, that he shifts from the, the, the third person pronoun from they to the second person pronoun plural, we. Luke is saying we. He was there. He was an eyewitness of many of the events that we see in the second half of the book of Acts. Luke was, a, was an eyewitness, and he was, he, he was Paul's friend and, and traveling companion. In Colossians 4.14, Paul refers to, to Luke as the beloved physician. The beloved physician. So we, this, is, this is the Luke that we read about. And he, who wrote this? Luke Acts begins with the announcement of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, and ends with the deliverance of Paul to Rome, to Rome under Roman custody. So these two volumes, Luke and Acts, really cover 60 years of history, roughly 30 years for Luke and 30 years for Acts. That 60 years is the most pivotal period in all of human history. Understand that. That 60 years that is described in, in Luke and Acts is the most important period in all of history. 
Luke Acts then is, is one story in two parts, joined by a common theme. Together they communicate the ministry of Jesus Christ to build his church. Luke's gospel account details the ministry of Christ on earth, and Acts communicates his continuing ministry through the apostles and the power of the Holy Spirit. As I. Howard Marshall explains, colorful, dramatic scenes alternate with straightforward reporting. Vigorous personalities stand at the center of the action. The author has a talent for portraying the variety of life in the ancient world as he, he takes us from the backwater country towns like Lystra to the intellectual center of Athens and brings us into touch with unforgettable characters, Jewish and Greek, nobles and slaves. His book is a story full of interest told by a master storyteller. And there, there are many parallels between Luke and Acts. Again, as we explained, Luke details the, the birth and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, and Acts details the birth and ministry of the church. In Luke, Jesus is born. In Acts, the church is born. In Luke, Jesus heals. In Acts, Peter and Paul heal. In Luke, Jesus' teaching leads him to a confrontation with the Jews and Romans. In Acts, Peter's teaching leads him to a confrontation with the Jews, and Paul's teaching leads him to confrontation with the Jews and the Romans. In Luke, Jesus' mission leads to his death in Jerusalem. In Paul, sorry, Acts, Paul's mission leads him to imprisonment in Rome and eventually to his death. Now, by word count, Acts is the, the second longest book in the New Testament. Luke is the longest. Together, they comprise over a quarter of the New Testament, which means that Luke wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else, even more than Paul. Paul wrote more letters. He wrote 13 letters. But, but by word count, Luke wrote far, far more. Now, Luke would not have written his, his gospel account and acts in a, in a book like we have today. Those were not invented yet. They, at that time, they, they wrote their, their material, their manuscripts on papyrus scrolls. And these scrolls, it's, I just found this out in my research, these scrolls came in stock sizes. Uh, the normal length was about 40 feet, so you wouldn't tell how long something was by, by its page numbers, but by how long the scroll was. And again, the, the stock size for a scroll was, was 40 feet, and, and assuming the, the regular font and, and spacing, Luke's gospel would have fit on a 35-foot scroll and, and Acts on a 32-foot scroll. And these, these are... are are massive volumes, and, and these two scrolls would have been carried together and, and studied together. But the first section that, that we're looking at this morning, and specifically included here is that Acts 1, 1 to 11, Luke essentially repeats what he has told us in Luke 24, which summarized the 40-day the period of Christ's ministry between his resurrection and his ascension. And it shows the fulfillment of, of key Old Testament prophecies, especially the giving of the Holy Spirit, the advance of the kingdom of God to include Gentiles, and the ascension of Christ. These are, are, are three important Old Testament themes, and they're here in Acts 1, 1 to 11. We're looking at these in more detail next week. So Acts 1, 1 to 11 includes a, a prologue and two promises. And again, it takes us right up to the ascension of Jesus. So this morning, with the time that we have left, we're going to, to look at the prologue in verses 1 to 3. 
Well, Acts really, Acts 1, 1 to 11 and, and actually 1 to 15 is, is really all prologue as, as Luke reviews what he told us at the end of his gospel account, Luke 24. So let's just go back there from us. Let's flip back so it'd be easier if it was right next to Acts. We'll flip back, flip back to Luke chapter 24, the last section. Here Luke telescopes the, the events of this 40-day ministry of Jesus to the apostles. Note especially in verses 47 to 49. Let me read it. That repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. All right, so this is, this is this, the Great Commission. And notice here the reference to the, to the promise. The promise is the Holy Spirit, as, as we'll see especially next week and then on into the book of Acts. But then Jesus led them to Bethany on the, the Mount of Olives and then ascended to heaven. And the apostles worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continuing in the temple blessing God. And that, that goes to Acts 1.15. But now in Luke 1.1, Luke begins, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Well, again, the first book is, is obviously Luke's gospel account, which he also addressed to Theophilus. Now, as we, we discussed in, in the book of, of Luke, that Theophilus was perhaps a, a patron of Luke or an influential friend of Luke's, and one who was very likely either a Christian himself or was considering becoming a Christian. And so let's go back to the prologue of, of Luke. Again, it'd be easier if they're right next to each other, but, but Luke 1.1. 1, 1. Here Luke explains what he's doing. He says that, that, he has under, that many have already um, undertaken to compile a narrative of the things accomplished among us. And then verse 3, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So here Luke is, is writing his own version. Remember, Luke wasn't around during that time. Luke was... Luke did not witness these things in the, in the, the gospel of Luke. He, he discovered these things by, by interviewing people in the life of Jesus, including very likely Jesus' own mother and, and many of the apostles. He interviewed them and, and compiled his gospel narrative. But he did this in order so that Theophilus might have certainty about what he had been taught. And as I said in my introduction to Luke, we're starting to look that, that you might not be that Theophilus. But the name Theophilus means lover of God. Or probably more accurately here, loved by God. So again, you might not be that Theophilus, but, but brothers and sisters, you are loved by God. And so we can actually begin to, as those who are loved by God, we also we also can have certainty concerning the things that we've been taught. And so may all of us be through our studies. Even those who are here among us as unbelievers, may all of us become loved by God as his children adopted through Jesus Christ. 
So in a sense, you are Theophilus. But Luke says here in Acts 1, 1, uh, 1 to 2a that, that he dealt with all the things that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. He's saying that his gospel account focused on the earthly ministry of Jesus right up to the ascension. But notice here that, that Luke says that he dealt with the th- all that Jesus began to do and teach. All that Jesus began to do and teach. The clear implication is that Jesus' ministry continues in Acts, even after his ascension to heaven. Brothers and sisters, the ascended Jesus is still at work. Jesus is the reason for the church's birth. He is the reason for the church's growth. It's a work that Jesus continues to do even now. I'm confident that through the same word and in the same power of the same spirit, you too will grow. I'm confident that this church will grow in depth and I'm hopeful it will grow in breadth. I'm confident that the Lord Jesus Christ will continue to build his church right here through our studies in Acts. Acts 1-2 continues. That Jesus ascended after he'd given commandments through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. The commandment here is is the apostles' call to mission. And their their mission, their mission is, is the next step in God's plan. Yes, this is a command, but it's also a promise. As Jesus says in, in Acts 1.8, 1, you will be my witnesses. This is an indicative verb. This is a statement of fact. It's a promise. Jesus refers to his his disciples here specifically as apostles. They are the capital A apostles. They're Christ's chosen and commissioned ones. They're his special envoys and representatives. We spoke about this during during our study of the spiritual gifts. These men were with Jesus during his earthly ministry and were specifically chosen by him to bear witness to his resurrection. Now pay special attention to the fact that Luke says that Jesus gave them commands through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guides them into the truth. Remember John 16, 13, we talked about last week. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Now now Luke's referring to the Holy Spirit here is likely meant to draw attention to the fact that that the apostles' ministry is through the gift of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus is going to continue his ministry in the lives of his followers through the Holy Spirit in Acts. Jesus is going to build his church through his followers as they are empowered and guided by the Holy Spirit. Remember in Luke 12, Jesus warned that that the apostles, the disciples, would be brought before the synagogues and and rulers and authorities. And he said, don't worry about what you're going to say. For verse 12, the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you are to say. They would bear witness of Jesus and they would be persecuted for that witness. It's really not too different to what has taken place in the church for much of the past 2,000 years. In Luke 3, in Acts 3 rather, Luke reiterates the facts of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. He presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 
during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So it begins here talking about Christ's suffering and death in the place of sinners. This is the, the heart of the gospel. That we all are guilty before the holy God. But that God the Son took on human flesh and came into this world on a rescue mission to live a life of full obedience to all of God's commands and then to die at the hands of sinful men as he suffered, not for his sins, but for our sins, as he bore the penalty that we all deserve. As he died in our place, he went into the grave, and then three days later, he rose from the grave. To, it was vindicated to show that God was satisfied with his sacrifice. And so this is what, what Paul begins with here. This is the heart of the gospel. Now Luke refers to, to many proofs that, that Jesus had, in fact, risen from the dead. Proof, in this sense, refers to, to that which causes something to be known in a convincing and decisive manner. Here, Derek Thomas counsels wisely. He says, in our postmodern world, the church will do well to heed the importance of history of establishing solid empirical roots to faith and doctrine. Right? In, in a world where, where the truth is considered to be subjective, that you can have your truth and I can have my truth and we can, and all truths are equal, we, we say no, we have empirical evidence. Our faith is built, is built on fact, on real truth. So we can refer back to these, these, this solid bedrock of the incarnate Jesus Christ and all that he came to do. So what is the proof? Well, Luke doesn't refer to it, but, but Paul, if you'll turn with me for a moment to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul lifts, lifts, lifts the, the evidence. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 8. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our, scriptures in for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom were still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and last of all, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Christ's appearances were irrefutable evidence of his bodily resurrection. The disciples, you can see by, by their response after Christ's death, you can see the disciples clearly had not been expecting Jesus to rise from the grave, even though he taught them repeatedly that he would. But through these appearances, they were utterly convinced that Jesus was still alive. And at the, at the end of Luke, he, he tells us that, that Jesus actually ate a meal with them in the upper room to prove that he wasn't just a spirit, that he was physically alive. And so in, in Acts, we're going to witness the change in the apostles 
again, through the power of the Holy Spirit, from doubters to witnesses. From doubters to witnesses. Brothers and sisters, many among us here, if you're here as a believer, you have been changed through the power of the Spirit from being a doubter to being a witness. As you have read and believed the truths of God's word, the, the witness of these apostles has been used by the Holy Spirit to, to bring life, to bring faith to you. And so you also are, as one who was a former doubter, are now a witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and of the new life that you have received in him. But during this 40-day period between Christ's resurrection and his ascension, Jesus taught the apostles many things, and especially we're told he's taught them about the kingdom of God, God's rule and God's reign. If you remember from our studies of, of Luke, that the, the, the establishment of the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ's ministry is the, the central theme of Luke. It's mentioned 102 times in Luke. Now in Acts, the kingdom of God is only mentioned explicitly a handful of times. But it's prominent, the kingdom of God is here prominent at the beginning of Acts and also at the end of Acts, in the very last verse of Acts, as Paul was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, without hindrance. And there's an expectation. Acts seems, as we're going to see, seems to kind of cut off suddenly. And there's some would, would suggest that, that some theologians suggest that, that Luke had intended to write a, a third installment, but, but never was able to do that, or, or it was not, or, or it was not uh, preserved for us. But either way, the, the implication is that the, the work continues, and not in the sense that, that, that you are Acts 29, but the, the work of the church continues as, as Christ continues to build his church now 2,000 years later through you and through me. The ascended Jesus Christ is still at work. He's at work even now. And so again, I, as we undertake here in this study, I have full confidence that through the power of the same spirit that empowered the apostles, that this church is, is going to grow in depth through the studies of God's word. This is, this is a guarantee. This is a promise from God's word. And it's also my prayer, as we, we've said earlier during the pastoral prayer, it's, it's my prayer that the church will, will also grow in breadth, that, that all of us will, will grow in, a, in an understanding of the sense of, of mission that we are on, that, that Christ has sent us as well. No, we're, we're not a, apostles in the, the capital A sense, but we are sent by Christ with the mission of bearing witness for Christ. And that our studies here are going to to really light a fire under us through the power of the Spirit to, to, to understand the responsibility that we all have. And we'll know that the, the, the Great Commission is not a great suggestion. It's a command. And that we'll also, through the power of the Spirit, be, be emboldened that we will know that, I mean, I mean, I, on a regular basis, before I climb up into this pulpit, I'm, I'm aware of, of, of the fact that I can't do what I'm called to do. I need the Holy Spirit. And if you feel that, that you are 
are unable to, to share the, the gospel with somebody. If you're unaware, if you're aware of your weakness, that's a good first step. But take the second step to, to remember that the same Holy Spirit is at work in you, brothers and sisters. And I want you to, to make note of this day. You can mark it in your calendar if you want, but, but think at this moment about your attitude to evangelism. And we, we, I think all of us would, would tick the theological boxes. We would, we would all recognize the importance of evangelism. But I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about your actual attitude towards, toward evangelism. And you can see your attitude towards, your, towards evangelism by whether you engage in it or not. So make note of, of this moment. Whatever the date is today, August the 12th, I think. No, 14th. August the, the 14th, 2022. And then a, in a year's time or thereabouts. Maybe you can go back. I trust that by God's grace, you'll be able to go back and say, wow, God's, God's changed my attitude. God's helped me to, to grow in, a, in, a, in an understanding of the importance of evangelism and, and of, of the mission, the mission that I'm on because I'm now more involved in it than I was before. God works through his word and the power of his spirit. And I'm confident that he is going to work in you and me for the building of his church. And, and, and by that, again, the guarantee this church will grow in, in depth through that. But I, I trust that the, then through the, the evangelism of this church and the, the active mission of this church that, that the church is going to grow. And, and not just through, through transfer growth, which is, we, we don't mind when, when people, when people, obviously when people move here or, or when people leave Churches that don't preach the word of God and, 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 and join us. Well, we've been blessed to, to, to see. We, we've, we had three baptisms last week. To, the, the church is growing in breadth. Wouldn't you love to see that many more? Three baptisms, four baptisms on a, on a regular basis for the glory of God. May God do that in and through us during our studies in the book of Acts. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we are confident that we are indwelt through a member of the Trinity. Your Holy Spirit indwells us. We've spent the last 10 weeks looking at spiritual gifts and we recognize that, that all who belong to you have been gifted by your Spirit. All of us empowered and equipped for the work of ministry that you have called us to do in the local church and outside the local church. And Lord, we thank you that some of us are particularly gifted in evangelism. But all of us are called to evangelism. May you help us all to see the importance of the mission because this is nothing less than your mission, Lord Jesus that you have invited us on, that you have commanded us to go on. Equip us, empower us, embolden us through your Holy Spirit so that your, your mission will continue through us, that you will build your church through us for the glory of your name. Amen.